And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. There is a a live shot there of the old Macintosh, fired up, ready to go, sitting next to the Starlog magazines. And, And the reason for that is because of something that our guest has said. I'll get to that in a minute. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci Fi For Me. Dot com. Happy to have all of you with us today. If you're here live, the chat is already up and bumping around. You guys can uh, can get active there. If you are not with us live, that's fine too. You can leave a comment. You can send an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Uh, this show is also available on a number of different podcast platforms. So if you listen to this show, uh, go ahead and give us a rating. Feel free to share in whatever iteration you consume the content. And with all that out of the way, let me uh, let me bring in our guest. He has taken a sabbatical from his sabbatical uh, from YouTube. Cameron Pasha joins us. He's been uh, he's been making the rounds of late. Welcome back and congratulations on the sale of your was it, is a pilot, I guess. That's it's 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 a it's a pilot uh you know i can't go into the details right now but it's it's a it's one of my sort of historical epic projects that i've actually been developing for about eight years and by god's grace we, we finally sold it to uh to a major uh we sold it to a studio last year and when the studio went out with it and we finally sold it to a major network and now i'm in the process of uh of actually, you know, doing the the rewrite of the pilot script in accordance with the network's notes, and my prayer is that you know we get it to a place that they're ready to put it on the air, which I hope is not that far away. Well, congratulations! It is well deserved success for you, and and it, it's good to see that you're actually able to come back and and talk about some of the stuff you've been on Midnight's Edge. You were over talking to Kerry Smith. Um, Valiant Renegade had you on, and now we get our turn. I'm happy to be in that rotation. And, and well, well, you're special to me, Jason, because you're the only <laughs> one I've met in person. You know, I've met Polly from Latino Slam because we live near each other. But I actually was was in your home state for a ghost hunt, and I actually was you yes. able to come to and do an interview in your studio on that lovely chair back there. So yeah, and and Mrs. Boss, if you're if you're able to, you can grab that link if you want. We can pop that in the chat here a little bit later. So okay, Ms. Marvel. We are five episodes in. Is it a six-episode run total? Or? It's a six-episode run. Next okay. week is the final episode. Next week's the final episode. We've, we've had five episodes so far. I, I finally caught up. And mm-hmm. you have been saying very nice things about this show from the beginning. And one of the reasons why I had the, the shot of the Macintosh and the Starlog is because you've said this feels like kind of a throwback to some of those family-oriented shows from the 80s and 90s. And I wanted to like start... Like Mr. Belvedere like or Family Ties, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to start there because there were a lot of people that were assuming that this was going to be just more Marvel, you know, recycled, rehashed, garbage tier of the week. Yeah, with, with, with political identity issues and all of that. And we'll yeah. talk about 
why that's not in the show. And so, so uh, because it apparently was once. So why don't we, why don't, well, okay, well, let's start with that because uh, we've got plenty of Bob Chapek news there. And you, you've said on Valiant Renegade and on Midnight's Edge both that Chapek was responsible for this show actually looking like it does instead of how it was started to look. So... Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, so on that, I mean, I've actually, on my Patreon, I've been writing about this for over a year, for, you know, a year now. I've, my Patreons have not been on full year, but I guess last year, so about nine, ten months, I've been writing about this. Because last fall, uh, I wrote uh, sort of an exclusive, you know, breaking thing because I had several colleagues and friends of mine who are writers and on the production of that show, right, at various levels. And so different people from the production had been telling me uh because this thing's been in works for a couple of years now right yeah. it was actually in the can it was a finished edited show uh as early as february of 2021 right so it's been a year and some months since since it, it was originally finished and i had people that work on the show that had then moved on to other projects right because this thing was wasn't being released and they'd all indicated to me something had gone terribly wrong that the uh, that the original cut of it the reason it was sitting in the Disney vault and not being released was that it was terrible. It was a bad show. Mm. Uh, it was a badly shot show. The stories didn't work. And apparently there was a lot of, uh, you know, political messaging, which, you know, my understanding is the comic did not start off that way, but then in later issues of the comic it became more right. uh, identity politics oriented. It starts off as a young Muslim family girl, you know, who's just getting these powers to like, I'm here to talk about, you know, the evils of imperialism and all that, you know? And so it goes in this direction, which is, you know, which a lot of the readers didn't want to see it go and didn't feel like it was original from the, the early issues of the comic. But apparently the show originally had a lot of this kind of content in it, right? Okay. And so it was it was not releasable. Pop Chapek by then had really started asserting himself in, in 2021. And he said, yeah, we're not going to put this thing out here. Go rework it. And so they reshot the entire, you know, I don't know if it's the entire show, but a very substantial portion of it was reshot over the course of 2021. Uh, and uh, the final version, I've been writing that I was very concerned and I'm Pakistani, I was born in Pakistan, Pakistan American, right? Much like the character. And I was very concerned that this would end up being, creating more alienation of my very small minority community in this country from the rest of the country, right? People would say, ah, here's another example of you guys, you know, Muslim guys trying to ram your religion culture down our throats and, you know, and the Wokies trying to jump on top of that, even though they don't particularly like the religion, they think it's too conservative, but whatever, all that stuff. And right. I was like, this is, if this is handled badly, it's going to be very damaging. Um, and so I wrote a lot of very concerned pieces and gave a lot of insider information on my Patreon that I was hearing about problems on it. And then, you know, and I remained very reluctant to the show. And then I watched it. And the version that was reshot and that was put on the air that's been uh, that's been streaming now for five weeks is is absolutely incredible. I mean, the first episode, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I was laughing my ass off. I <laughs> felt my heart soaring. It, the amazing thing, and we'll talk more about the details of the episodes, but it wasn't just that I connected with it personally because it literally felt like my personal family experience in all of its lunacy being played out as a sitcom <laughs> with superpowers right. on the screen, it the reshot, recut, recreated version that is now that has been released, in my opinion, is an incredibly universal show and going but where we started, it's something we have not seen on Disney or network television in 20, 25 years. It is a throwback to the old family 
values family comedy sitcoms of the 80s or at least it was the the last couple of episodes have become very serious yeah but there's still some humor in it but the first were very very funny and over the gravitas of our situation eventually compels it to become a more serious show but initially it was a pure sitcom and it was a very funny sitcom with family dynamics and very family values dynamics right you could have gone back you could have put this on in 1983 on network television on, on ABC and it would have worked right and uh, you know that was such a shocking 180 degree turn from where the original show had been and where I think many people in the fandom think it is and haven't been watching as a result of it and I think are missing out on probably not even probably in my opinion it's the best show of the MCU it is the best TV show of the MCU by quantum leap and it is a and it leads us to where Bob Chapek is going to lead storytelling into the future and and <laughs> to be to be clear the the fact that it is uh such a good show in, in terms of the execution the kind of story it's telling is not because the lead is muslim it's in spite of it's it's we it's not in spite of well i said that i said that wrong it's it's basically successful and and well done no matter what the character Correct. The no matter character, because on that, my patreon i've had people who are filipino yeah who say this is my family i've had italians <laughs> greeks say that's my grandpa right there right i mean because we're all immigrants this country is all immigrants uh you know our native indigenous population would would beg to differ but they also immigrated from siberia so this whole continent is immigrants right yeah. and so you know so it, we all come from the old country, all of us, all of us do. And we may be disconnected from that in our in our current situation or our current families or whatever, but we all have a heritage of it. And so it, it is not you know, what many people were concerned with. This is some kind of cultural propaganda show. And it is not because it is a universal show about, again, this is the show that we actually got, not the show that, the, that may have been created once. Right. The show we actually got is a universal show about family, about being a lonely teen who's very artsy and dreamy and not quite fitting in who has fantasies about becoming a superhero and then gets those powers one of the members of my patreon said this is the closest thing i've seen to the original peter parker origin story in any form it is about a teenager who gets superpowers has to learn responsibility and uh and you know faces consequences from not knowing how to do this right yeah. uh, and he said that he said that what touched him the most is that this is peter parker and no one's ever done that since Peter Parker, right? And the fact that it's Pakistani or Muslim is just who that character happens to be in the same way that Peter Parker just happens to be a white kid from the Queens, right? Yeah. You don't really think about it too much, right? You don't think about it. It's just what he's going through. Um, well, and I like the fact that Kamala has to struggle. She's not a Mary Sue. She's not, you know, automatically gifted. Now, there have been a couple of times in some of the some of the action sequences some of the fight sequences where maybe there's a little bit too much of well she's got she's got plot plot abilities but a well, lot that's of sort it of does related feel, to her powers which are yeah it, seems but to be it a feels more ambiguous on this show what she can do yeah yeah so the, the mrs boss in the chat says it's charming and i guess that's one of the that's one of the good things you can say but on the on the point of recognizing family and your your history and whatnot i i i I won't say anything about kamala's mother 
and and how she resembles another another mother that I know. But I, I know, it's I know that a mother like that very very well. Yeah, yes. it's that universality, right? It's that you know because you know a lot of us, especially those of us who grew up as fans of genre, mm-hmm. we have been that kid. We've been the outsider. We've been the one that's been looked at as the weird kid, you know, the the one that got bullied on the playground. And, and weird by our own whatever. families. Yeah. We've been looked at as weird by our own families who just want us to be normal like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's that universal, that universality, I think, that, it, that, that adds to the appeal, not just the story being told well. And, you know, as you get into those those episodes dealing with the partition, I've seen a lot of comments about how well that's been handled, given how touchy a subject it is, how painful a subject it is for a lot of people. Those two these last two episodes set in that time period doesn't get overly preachy it doesn't get you know message or or one one side they or the could have other made it anything they british colonialism right yeah it Maybe could have gone very much version was british imperialism it's all about how the evil white british people did this to us yeah. that's not what that's not what's shown here and it's more about how a, a co- communities that had lived together for a thousand years hindus and muslims together in in subcontinent right tore each other apart, right? Yeah. Whether they were instigated to or not, the show doesn't go into that. It goes into the emotional implications of people being torn apart who have been neighbors. Now, on that on that point, I've seen some comments because of, you know, the the show's been fairly fairly well received, but there have been some comments about the fact that Kamala's parents are being played by Indians and not Pakistani. And, you know, the whole the whole thing about the history of the partition and and everybody being separated, how much and this is this is an ignorance question on my part. How much separation segregation is there still nowadays between Hindu and Muslim between India and Pakistan? Are are people moving back and forth or? Well, there's multiple layers to that. So let's start with here in America because the show set in America. In America, there really is very little because, you know, we're all here and they're all thrown together here, right? Uh, you know, and so, uh, in fact, in my experiences that Pakistanis and Indians and Bangladeshis and Sri Lankans, everyone from the subcontinental culture, regardless of their religion, uh, tends to connect with each other here. Like when I went to college, all the, we call the, we call it the desis, which is the, the Urdu Hindi word for, uh, for homelander, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're all desis together, right? And so like they would all hang out together. And uh, even the people that had just like come directly from Pakistan or India as international students, all connect with each other because they all shared common language, food, watched cricket together. They all got each other. And those of us raised in America have the, you know, we don't watch cricket. We don't give a crap about that, right? <laughs> but but like Kamala Khan, we are both have that heritage of the subcontinent and, you know, trying to be cool Americans, which often conflict. And so we all get each other. So most of my sister's friends are like Indian Hindus, right? You know, and, and they did that, that kind of thing. And so there is, those barriers have largely been overcome in the United States. Back in the region, those barriers are still real in a very real level. I mean, these countries have gone to war three times, right? And at this point, they both have nuclear weapons, right? You know, a no. little a little war could end up destroying the whole planet, right? I mean, it's a real thing. And, uh, you know, just, just a, last year, uh, an Indian uh, fighter jet came, flew into Pakistan on some covert mission and got shot down. And it was a huge, uh, they held the pilot, and the pilot was apparently held and was treated, I mean, the 
Pakistan and the army is actually very professional, and he they held him, treated him well, and he was released to to India. But it was a massive thing, like an Indian pilot is being held by the Pakistani military, right? Yeah. It was like, well, you should have flown into the country's border. What's going to happen, right? Or you guys aren't exactly friends. This is what's going to happen. Uh, and so those tensions are very real today. Uh, and, and I've had, you know, Pakistani friends of mine who've noticed that, you know, they may not know who the actors are, but they recognize the accents that Kamala's parents have an Indian accent. You know, that there's an accent. There's a difference in a British accent and an Australian accent that yeah. you can hear. Right. But if you're not from the culture, you won't hear it. But I heard it. Uh, I don't care because I think they're good actors. I think I think the parents are wonderful, right? I mean, the actors, the parents made me fall in love with the show even before I really got into Kamala because the parents were like my parents, right? I mean, yeah. I got them, right? right? And so, you know, so that's not there. But what has been interesting is especially in subsequent episodes, now the last two episodes have taken place in, in India and Pakistan and in the past as well as the present. And my mom, who I've watched this, this is like a thing. I haven't done this in 30 years. I watched this with my mom. Every week we get together, we have popcorn, you know, and last time we made popcorn and we watched Mars Marvel again. And, uh, and my mom kept pointing out, oh, that actor is a famous Pakistani actor. That actor is a famous Pakistani actor. She's in soap operas in Pakistan. So in the, when they went to do the regional stuff, they brought a lot of Pakistani actors, which is good. It's giving them a lot of play that they wouldn't have in the West before, right? Right. So they are doing that. Um, you know, part of it is also casting. I've been through the casting processes at these places, right? You know, the casting directors are like, India, Pakistan, it's all, it's all brown people, it's whatever. And, you know, so they don't really think about it. And, uh, but it, it's fine because... It's about the dynamic. And on a deeper level, look, my parents were both born in India and came here. Uh, my mom after partition, my father during partition, right? So my ancestry is from Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is, right? Or or a Lucknow, which is, these are both Indian cities today. Yeah. You know, Agra is in India. Lucknow is uh, where there's this incredible culture of, that's the last remnant of the Mughal culture uh, you know, that's there. My grandmother, my mother's side was from there. My father was from the Agra side. And so that's all India. So, I mean, you would say I'm Indian. And one of the ethnic problems that exists in Pakistan, ethnic, if you want to call it that, today, is that as we see in these shows, that there's this partition and millions of people left what is now modern India and went to the Western era, which is now Pakistan, and reestablished themselves like my family did. They were seen essentially as foreigners by the locals. That's something the show hasn't gone into. But they were seen as foreigners and were largely discriminated against because who are these? Uh, it's like these immigrants coming over. Maybe we need a wall, right? Yep. Who are these people taking our jobs? Human nature, right? These are people. <laughs> these are fellow Desi speaking Urdu. But people are like, ah, coming in. These people, foreigners come taking our jobs. These immigrants, right? So to this day, there's there's tension. They're called my ethnic group in Pakistan is the Muhajirs, which means the immigrants. Yeah, I was born in Pakistan. I mean, we're talking about four generations now into this country, right? They're still identified as the, the foreigners who came from India. Hmm. And it's like this large ethnic group, which is also bizarre because the founders of the country were all from India. So you've got the political elite were, were these Muhajir immigrants and sort of the poor people. And then the locals were like, what the hell's happening here? Are we getting a country created by these other people and being populated by these other people? So those tensions exist. Right. Well, and and one of the things that I noted is is in watching these last two episodes is the the partition material is not overdone. It's not heavy-handed. It's not, you know, it it 
it's there as setting for what's going on emotionally with the characters. And I think that's probably what what helps the whole thing resonate a little bit more with people who may not be familiar with what's what happened during partition. We see the yep. effects of it in how it affects the characters. And I think that that goes back to the writing of the show. And if that was originally there or if it was in the replacement stuff, either way, I think that was well done. I think it was handled well. Because you're right, th- this could very easily have have gone off the rails for it, in so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, look, you have a very brief moment, which, you know, who knows if there's more of this kind. I mean, not that it, the current version doesn't have the implication, but you have a very brief moment in this last episode where you've got a British colonial soldier chasing one of the ca- Indian uh, characters and gets killed in a fight, right? Right. Did that lead to a, a diatribe on the British imperialists controlling India? I don't know. That's not what we got, <laughs> but yeah. it could have, right? It could easily have been seed into that. And your and the thing is, that what has made this partition stuff the last two episodes so emotionally impactful for me is, you know, as I've written on my Facebook and I put on Instagram, those want to see it. This my father left during partition, and he saw horrific things, and that's what that show thing is. It was just a family experience, you know. You had you know, hundreds of thousand people crowding into these these trains trying to get to this other country because they're afraid of a Rwanda type massacre. This was actually this was actually the prototype for the Rwanda type massacre. Mm. You know, Hutus and Tutsis living together and then killing each other in the millions in a matter of a few days. That's what happened. And so you see the horror of people just desperately trying to get on these trains and families being separated. But because in the chaos of that, you everyone's mobbing on the train. You get separated from your parents, your kids, and we, and that. People went on to Pakistan, separated from their parents, never finding out what happened to them hmm. with their kids. It's just the horror of it. I mean, I have all these relatives in India that I don't know nothing about. I don't even know who they are. I mean, we're separated from them, right? Right. And, and part of that is people leaving. And part of that is literally the chaos of that kind of separation. Families were lost. And that is the emotional impact that anybody can get, right, of, of your kids missing. And now you've got to get on this train. You're all going to be killed. Yeah. And do you leave your kid behind? Do you leave your wife behind? That's human. Well, and the other the other scene that could have gone that same way uh, earlier in the in the, the show, one of the other other episodes when they were at the mosque, and they're dealing with the separation between the men and the women, and that that uh, not necessarily a confrontation, but you know they're talking out of turn and they're saying, well, you know, our, our space is not quite so well maintained. We can't hear you very well. We're separated. Yeah. That's the first episode of the mosque. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that could have gone, that could have gone the other way too, because the character of Nakia, her best friend, she seems like she could be the character that would be the mouthpiece for all of the woke politics stuff, because there's just, there's a, any bitty hint of it and I'm thinking I wonder if they rewrote her to tone that down given what you have said about how how much has been reworked because she's the character that seems like she would be the one that that would be that would be saying stuff and she kind of does but it's not it's not overtly message type dialogue which I thought was teenage girl grumbling at this point what it is is a young idealistic teenage girl talking about fight the power. That's an archetype. Yeah. <laughs> that's a real phenomenon. We all went to high school and college with that girl, right? We all know her, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so and then she ends up working for Goldman Sachs afterwards, right? I mean, that's how that works, right? And so fight the power. I mean, so where? So 
she's a very likable character and uh and we'll talk a second about the likability of the, all these characters but nakia as we now see her is a very likable character and yes that i even commented on my very first review for the first episode that could that scene in the mosque could have gone really another direction because you know you have you know a minority and i will say it's a minority of sort of modern american muslim women very small minority that are like you know the separation between the sexes and the mosque which is traditional which is how it works uh leads to this oppression and that and blah 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 and other most women will be like look in the mosque when if you've seen islamic prayer people are bowing they're kneeling you know most women don't want a guy standing behind them checking out their ass while they're bowing down you know or checking out right. their breasts while they're while they're in that position right yeah it's just the nature of that prayer it's very intimate and guys are gonna if you got a chick in front of you bowing down her ass in your face you ain't thinking about god that's human nature right and so there's a reason for that separation that's not meant to be misogynistic yeah. so however the practical thing and it's a real thing is that many mosques you know in the u.s or anywhere just because they're they're, they're not paying as much attention to the women's section right and the women grumble about that and they should you know, because they have every right to have a good, clean section that's as nice as the men's, right? And so that's the scene. The original scene may have been, you know, we women are oppressed. Who knows? We don't see it. Yeah. The scene we saw is a real kind of thing that actually happens in Moss, where, you know, my, you know, one of the mosques I've attended in L.A., you know, they are so sensitive to that that they've set up the structure that the, the front door of the mosque is for the women and the back door is for the men. So they they really like we got to compensate right and so even though we have a separate section right there so they're like the the women uh, women are honored they're going to come in through the front door and all you do is got to come in through the back right right so it's enough that there's ways to address it right uh and so uh that was real it could have gone in this in this weirdo political diatribe and maybe the earlier version did but it didn't and it, it felt real as a result and i laughed I, I laughed my ass off during those moss scenes because there's a scene where nakia comes out of the mosque and her, her 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 expensive Louis Vuitton shoes or whatever are stolen, right? Right. I didn't have Louis Vuitton shoes, but I had I I've had my shoes stolen from a mosque, and I've had to walk home in my socks. Right? It happens. <laughs> it happens, and uh, you know, and it, it's that those are the little cultural things that that no one would get, but I'm like, it happened to me. <laughs> I had to walk all the way back mile in my socks to get home because somebody took my shoes. <laughs> Well, and and Seinfeld now uh, raises an interesting point uh, with a, with a question about who this show is for, because you talk about the men and the women, and and mostly yeah. Marvel. One of the reasons why Disney bought Marvel to begin with is to get a, a male, a young male audience, you know, because we've got the Disney crowd, we've got the girls, you know, with the Disney princess and all of that, and we bought Marvel and Star Wars in order to get the boys. This show kind of seems like it's counter to that because you have a, a, a young teenage female lead. It's, it's family-oriented. It's less, I don't want to say less testosterone. I mean, there's, there's plenty of action in, in, the, in the fight sequences and stuff, and there's visual effects and all of that. And, you know, it's, it's a typical, you know, I, I find my powers. I've got to learn how to use my powers type of thing. Does it so let's look at the historical process, Jason, of, sure. of how this whole property developed, right? So this comic book was originally developed, I'm, you know, with best of intentions, but it was developed certainly at an era when you had a lot of people saying, we've got to diversify and we've got to, you know, reach other audiences for its own sake, right? right. For its own sake, for political purposes, right? And so when the original comic was announced, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? You know, I haven't seen a Muslim character before. And originally, it seemed the original comic 
uh, was more like what the show is, which is just family values, you know, Peter Parker story. Um, and then people the same, you know, people said, well, here's our chance to do representation and, and political ideology. And then they, they started taking the comic in that direction, which I mean, initially I have I've talked to friends who are very big fans of comics or were uh, and they seem to be primarily girls. They seem to be either Pakistanis, Indians, and you know, and then girls, right? Yeah. But and the girls, like I didn't like the later episode, the later issues, but I like the earlier issues. Um, and so that property would then push forward, and there were certainly political agendas behind that property, uh, whether one likes them or not. There were those agendas. Now the the same kind of agendas were involved in uh, in why the show was greenlit, and you know years ago. However the show that we've now got isn't a political agenda show, right? Yeah. Uh, and so Sci-Fi Rob may be correct that there are certain demographics that watch this thing. However, I think that this thing has now done perhaps accidentally, like the accidental tourist. It's accidentally tor- you know, wandered into this area of the city where it's actually discovered something new. And there is a chance here to actually open up Disney and this comic book world to new audiences by the fact of this JPEG reshot show which which is charming, which, you know, for those who are actually watching it, I've had only one person on my Patreon say they didn't like the initial episode, like Sci-Fi Rob is saying he thought it was slow. That was their response. They didn't have a problem with the content, really. Uh, you know, they had they felt it didn't feel like a Marvel show. Later, they're like, okay, now it feels like a Marvel show. It's yeah. a lot more action and stuff happening, right? The initial stuff was a lot of, you know, Pakistani cultural stuff. Uh, they were like, well, what does it have to do with Marvel? However, I think that this is going to open up people to Disney Plus in new ways that were like, well, this is, a, this is I can, because things, I haven't been able to watch a show with my mom in years, you know, you know, partly, partly because she doesn't share any interest. Partly it's because there's a lot of stuff that's not, a, my mom's not going to like on current television and movies, right? Yeah. You know, I went to see Titanic with her 20 years ago. She didn't particularly like the nude scene and made it quite <laughs> clear in the audience when I'm there that she didn't like that scene right and so and so you know they're different values yeah this is going to get to a universal values and make people return and that's what it has a potential now there's been some reports that it's not doing that great uh we've gotten you know disney doesn't release its numbers we've gotten these uh what what, what is the name of that service samba uh, tv no there's another service that announces its its figures uh for uh, it, it, you know it's like it's like roku or whatever that has a deal with disney and the figures were that this was the lowest rated of at least the Marvel shows on that service. Uh, perfect. Yeah. So I, I don't discount that. I also am just purely going off anecdotally, the amount of emails, DMs or whatever I'm getting from Europe where people are really connecting with this show. Yeah. We don't have those figures because, you know, there is there is a much larger Muslim minority throughout Europe. Every every country in Europe its largest minority is Muslim. That's not true in America. You know, we are about maybe maybe five to six percent of this population, which is what, like seven, eight, you know, probably 10 million people at this point. That's a small minority. I mean, you've got African-Americans who are close to 20 percent, Latinos, huge percentage. So we're not a very significant cultural impact of this society, except to the extent that we have conflict with the Muslim world and terrible things like September 11th happen. People aren't really generally aware of Muslims in their day-to-day environment. In Britain, they are. In yeah. France, they are. In Germany, they are. In Sweden, they are. They're their neighbors and the kids are going to school with them and their cultural complex because those are even more progressive societies. And suddenly you have these conservative immigrants coming in who don't share the values. Right. Right. And so uh, so you've got this conflict. Uh, so Europe seems to be really enjoying it. So I think it's opening up new territories for this kind of storytelling. Um, and it's almost a by accident through the internal political processes of JPEG warring with other Disney people. 
they've created something that is going to at least offer the possibility of a new landscape. Well, and I think the the family aspect uh, to the show probably probably has a little bit more impact than than one might initially think because you you know you talk about the the show being slow to start without that foundation of how the family dynamic works you don't mm-hmm. get i mean you get payoffs for all of that in later episodes with the brother and the wedding and and the parents and and the grandmother and you know when they get to Karachi and and and, and the stuff that's going on in in the past and I think that the the relationships of the relationships between the characters strengthens the story, and it, it makes does. it it makes it even even if you don't have that understanding of Pakistani culture and the way that their families are put together, you know I'm I'm looking at it and think well this is just a typical this is a typical teenager and she's got the overprotective parents I I know plenty of people like that. Yeah, and that's that's universal. Yeah, <laughs> I my, mean, you know, and, and then you discovered, like last night's episode, the overprotective mom was a wild girl in her youth, right? Yeah, that's always how it was, right? Always. <laughs> and so I, I should pull up some Bon Jovi and and we rock out with that. But <clears throat> my only my only quibble is really a technical one in the sound mix. Uh, a lot of the dialogue is getting buried in the audio, and c- when you combine it with the accents sometimes it's a little bit hard to tell what people are saying, but that's a, that's a technical thing more than it is a story or a craft thing. I'm sitting there going, why isn't why can't I hear the dialogue? I hear all of the sound, I hear all this music, you know, everything in the background, but the dialogue's getting buried. And, and that's and that's a that's a fair critique. I mean, that's they any show should have the best production possible. And yeah. you know, remember this we shot and you know something they had to prioritize fixing the story and so probably that that they didn't notice the the effect that you're talking about most people seem okay with it but i want to talk about the characters that you raised jason which is what blew me away is how likable these people are i mean my understanding is they're they're more likable than in the original comic because the brother amir and i've seen some of the comic the brother amir uh who's kamala's older brother is like a religious fanatic in the comics, right? He's like a preachy, loudmouth, fundamentalist guy, you know, saying stupid things, and she's always like, why? You know, in in this show, yeah, he's like a conservative religious guy, but he's really likable as her brother. Like, it's a real brother-sister dynamic. He's a protective brother. They improved from the comic. I mean, yeah. this is, I saw that dynamic. I'm like, that doesn't feel real to me in the comic, right? But in the in the, in the the show, that is how I relate to my younger sister. And I was also loudmouth religious fanatic preaching to her all the time at that period in, in our in our youth, right? So, but I still had a very deep connection to her, which the show shows, right? Yeah. And that's why my sister and I laugh about it because, you know, her rolling her eyes at me, you know, was the same thing as Kamala rolling her eyes at her brother, but it's rolling eyes. It's not like, oh, my brother's crazy. It's just like, he's off doing his own thing. So, but the most incredible thing is, you know, Iman Vellani, the, the lead of the show, in my opinion, is the most likable actress in television today. I mean, I, she is so bubbly and so real and so very much like the fandom that we deal. <laughs> you know, she. I mean, she's a geek and she's a geek in real life. And you know, you know, we've seen some interviews of her where she talks about it, about how she challenged Kevin Feige 
about the story. He's like, well, that doesn't fit into this MCU comic, this, this, and this. And she, I mean, she's a geek. She knew the comics well. She's not just doesn't. She's not just a Ms. Marvel fan. She's an MCU fan. And yeah. uh, and so she went in and said, Kevin, you know, if you want Kamala to go this way, that doesn't that conflicts with what you're doing with Iron Man here and what you did with and so. And Kevin said, you know, it's like, yeah, I was blown away. This little kid knew the comics, right? And was actually authentic. So she comes across that way. And it's also this person, you know, we in, in Hollywood talk about actors having a um, a palette, which is sort of the vibe they give off. So which, which affects the range that they, that there at least people believe they can do, you know? And so Iman Balani's palette is likable, younger sister, geeky, nerdy, fun, dreamy, a little weird, right? No. But good-hearted. That's well, not a character. That that's not an actress that can carry loudmouth feminist, fourth, <laughs> third, third wave feminist. She's just not, you know, screaming about the white man. She doesn't vibe it. Yeah, the actress doesn't vibe it. And if they were try to, if they were were to try to, probably one of the reasons the show was unwatchable in the original cut was whatever dialogue they were giving her doesn't fit her. Well, and in it this does, this interview, sound right coming out of her mouth. Yeah, and in this interview here with NME, I don't know, I don't know what this what this outlet is. I mean, she's you know she's nineteen, twenty years old now, but yeah. she talks in this article. One of her comfort films is Iron Man, and yeah. you know she's she's going through, and you know people are talking about well, you know, the critics and the review bombs and all of this other stuff, and you. She fell into this. This is her first thing to do. This is yeah, this she's is, not she's been discovered. An, an she had never worked on this. Yeah, but at the at the end here, she says basically, she says here this show is for Marvel fans. If you're a real Marvel fan, if any of those review bombers consider themselves a Marvel fan, then this show's for them too. We wanted Ms. Marvel to be a love letter to Marvel fans. So yeah, I don't care about the haters. She could have said something. Along the lines of what Chris Evans said with regard to Lightyear. Well, if you don't yeah, like you're gonna, it, you're you, going to like this whether you like it or not. Yeah, you, you, if you don't <laughs> like it, you're a racist. If you don't like this, you're an idiot. She didn't do that, and that's yeah, and, and that's you know, very she's young, smart. So she's she's young and from that generation. Saying stupid things is really easy for that generation. It's automatic, <laughs> yeah. right? It just comes out of their mouths, right? And yeah. she didn't do it. Yeah, that that shows a maturity on her part, and and she even acknowledges in this interview the fact that the last you know two three years, she's been surrounded by grownups. She's been surrounded by adults. You know, some of her best friends are now in their thirties because of the interactions and the and the relationships that she's had with the show. And and I you know from a personal experience, uh, you know, a lot of my childhood was spent we had we had a lot of grown-ups in the house because my parents had fam family friends and we all got together and spent a lot of time together and i spent most of my time with the grown-ups because i didn't want to i didn't want to be with the kids or i'm or i'm in my room reading so that attitude not necessarily a maturity but that appreciation for not being the stupid kid really really kind of resonates with me because she's she's in that same boat and it's clear that she recognizes that she's got to be careful what she says yeah, yeah. And, and you know look she's she's uh, she's from a conservative muslim family so she's got that i mean yeah i've seen amongst the young muslim youth standard sort of like people starting saying wokey stuff and some of them start using pronouns but then they're like they don't really fit into the community at that point and you start alienating yourself from your parents and you know because you're you're becoming a bit of a a little too weird for the community and so 
she's from that background. She's also from the, you know, for people who don't know the distinction, she is from a sect of Islam called the Ismailis, which is a minority sect, right? Uh, you know, I'm from the Sunnis, which is the, the vast majority of Muslims, like 90% plus are Sunnis. Uh, the Ismailis are a minority sect. And what is very interesting about them is that throughout history, they have been really sort of the, a lot of the creative leaders and visionaries within the Islamic community, right? Uh, Pakistan was founded, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, the founder of Pakistan was an Ismaili, right? You know, and so, you know, it's a very Sunni country. And, so, and you know, and this guy who founded it was from this minority sect. But their, their culture is very, um, is very uh, progressive internally within Islam to the extent of Islam is progressive. I mean, it's not a huge range of progressivity there, but it's there. And they are very, the Ismailis are very uh, sophisticated in dealing with people outside the community. They're, they're very aware uh, of how Islam is perceived and misperceived, and, and they're very good at serving as ambassadors of human connection. And uh, and so she's been raised in a tradition where she's already a minority within a minority, right? Right. A lot of Muslims would think she's a weirdo just from being from that sect, right? It's sort of, you know, it's got its own thing going on. Uh, and so she's already used to being the odd man out and used to s- diplomatically dealing with the fellow Muslims who are like, Ismaili, is that really Islam? He has to deal with that crap and be diplomatic with them. And then the external community is like, oh, you're a Muslim. Oh, so you, you must want to blow up people, right? So that's the kind of, every Ismaili kid I've met is very sophisticated because they just have to be to be in that community. Right. Well, and this seems to be doing pretty well. You talk about the the, the response that it's getting in Europe, the, the Rotten Tomatoes score, and I know yeah. it's Rotten Tomatoes, but... The audience the fan score, score tends to be accurate. The fan score tends to be accurate. Yeah, it's eighty-two percent. So you know when they talk about review bombing and stuff, I don't. See, I haven't dug into a lot of this, but just looking at those numbers, it would seem like people are fairly happy with it. You know, and you know we don't have the viewership numbers like you said. It would be interesting to see just how many people are actually tuning into this. But yeah, and where and what in what parts of the world are they tuning in, right? Yeah. And what what does that mean for Disney's business model in those areas? But yeah, I mean the review bombing she's referring to aren't really review bombing. It's more sort of uh, non-review bombing. The people, like I said, I've only had one person on my Patreon said I didn't like the first few episodes, and we got our friend here in the chat saying he thought it was slow. Yeah. Look, that's having seen it, right? I've had people, you know, I posted on on social media my opinions of the show, and I had some very, very ugly, ugly comments from people who who said I'm never going to watch it. Yeah. But they're projecting onto it. Well, I heard the comic was woke. I don't like the Sanamana chick. Blah blah blah. They they and I, I one gentleman called me a cuck, and I was like, well, have you watched this? I mean. You know, maybe maybe you like watching cuckold porn because you like using that term a lot. You're not watching this show. Right. And so and he had and he he said, I'm that you couldn't pay me enough to watch it. I said, so what's the basis of your review? Right. I mean, that's not a review. That's just uh, anger bombing. And so that's that's not of any value. You know, Uh, I watched I watched Doctor Strange, enjoyed it. You know, was it as good as the first movie? I don't think so, but I enjoyed it. I do understand that was similarly reshot. Because the the character of America Chavez, my, from what I've heard from my friends, the original cut of it was an unlikable character that was preaching, you know, Latina, Latin X, Latin, Latin E feminism, and it, it's like it doesn't really fit. And so, I, the final version was perfectly fine. Uh, and they took it even further in Ms. Marvel, and that you watch it, oh, this isn't the show I thought at all. Yeah. Right. This is, a, this is a, this is not what I thought. And so that's why she's referring to, and and that's why I say I, I would urge people to watch it. And I would watch beyond the first couple of episodes because it starts ramping up, which seems to be there's two things, the pattern 
uh, of Disney, which maybe hurt all of their shows in the MCU, which is, and some people have commented on this on my Patreon, which is that one is all of them tend to ramp up slowly and then get really fast. Yeah. And that's because, and that's because of the second thing, which is that the orders are too short. You could have made this an eight or 10 or even more episode show and made it enjoyable, but they ram everything into six episodes. So you start off with this slow burn. Uh, you know, I, I watched that. I watched the show with Haley Steinfeld as the archer or whatever. I was like, what the hell's going on here? There's nothing happening here. I mean, she's a great actress, you know, and why is she in this crap show? And then the last two episodes are very good. Right. Sure. It was like, but they just sort of rammed it all in like a fire hose because they had to get there. Well, uh, and is, and so is part of that budget wrong. is is part of that budget because you've only got so much to spend. Let's let's pack it all into the action sets the, at the at the climax of the show. And that doesn't leave us a whole lot to spend for the setup episododes, you know, the first two or three or four. We got to spend well, it all with, here. Yeah. 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 Jason, certainly budget impacts it. Um, you know, one would think that Disney has these are expensive shows one would think that maybe you could you could take that large budget of these shows and maybe spread it out a little bit right mm -hmm. uh and so you know it's it's just structurally what they've been doing and structurally where the industry is and it's not a good thing like you know the project i'm currently working on three years ago it would have been you know 10 12 episode order now we're talking about eight right that's the network now does that that's new and i've been doing this 21 years network television was always 22 episodes when the cable started, cable was 13. Now streaming is six to eight, you yeah. know, and doesn't leave a lot of space for storytelling. So I was like, when my network was like, all right, you got to, because I originally had a sort of 10 episode arc for the show and I sold it to them. And they're like, yeah, we're probably going to do this in eight. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have to rework this now, right? So now you, you talk about uh, the people who are forming opinions without, without seeing it. Yes. And this is something that I've discussed a couple of times, you know, on occasion. The, this, this, you know, we complain about the quote-unquote SJWs, the woke mob, the cancel culture. They're making assumptions. If you don't, I, I keep going back to The Last Jedi as an example of this, but. Well, that's the if, archetype. It's if the archetype. you don't like it, then you're a racist, Nazi, homophobe, alt-right, yeah. bigot, you know, thing. But it seems like, especially in the last year or so, that on the other side of the argument, there are people mm -hmm. that are making the assumption that things are going to be bad, things are going to be garbage, things are going to be woke. Just because of whatever little elements we hear about, now we're making assumptions that it's going to be bad. Now we're, we're making assumptions that the quality is, is going to suffer and the, and the story is going to be preachy and it's going to be a bunch of message fiction. And it seems like both sides are getting to the point where we're just going to make the assumption, we're going to assume the worst of the other people that don't agree with us. And that doesn't well, seem very productive. It isn't productive. And Jason, also it is, the, it is for those of us that have been criticizing the wokery of the last decade, it is the victory of the woke narrative. Yeah. If you're using yeah. it, you know, one of the things that really upset me is people were saying, I don't, you know, people in the fans were saying to me, I'm not going to watch the show. It wasn't made for me. Who said that? Remember who said that? You know, it was Brie Larson who said, it's not made for you. You're using her language. Yeah. Of course it's made for you. If it's a, yeah, and as it is, you're a white dude to watch it and enjoyed it. You know, your wife calls it charming. It's not not made for you. You know, it's but once we start using that language, we've we've ceded the entire battlefield to the other side. Agreed. It's silly. 
I mean, watch it. You don't have to like it. You know, you can say, I don't like it because I, I think that it's too slow. It's too fast. It's, the sound doesn't work. The, the effects aren't great. Those are all fair critiques. I don't, but the ugliest, and it is a minority of the minority, the uh, ugliest side of this is what the Wokies want and claim, which is, oh, this is anti-Muslim bigotry. There's some people that just don't want to sh- see a show with a Muslim girl. Yeah. It's just it. And that's a minority within the minority of the fans. And I'm trying to reach, I can't reach those guys because that's, that's impenetrable bigotry. You can't reach them. But I'd like to reach the rest of them who think it's a certain kind of show. I'm like, watch it. Yeah. It's not that kind of show. And I would suggest it's a breakthrough of returning us back to better storytelling of this family oriented. Well, Sci-Fi Snob's got an interesting question. How many, how many times do you go to the well and your bucket comes up empty before you start, you quit going to the well? I mean, you, we get disappointed with various different things. Uh, Star Trek's a good example of this. Kurtzman Trek, you know, Discovery is a mess. Picard is a mess. Strange New Worlds comes along, and oh, hey, this is not this is not too bad. Now, the last couple of episodes have been garbage, but it, no, it started off yet, strong. But people seem to like it. Yeah, I mean, and, I was and happy there's there are very positive things being said. Now, uh, the 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 last episode that I saw the the episode before the finale. Uh, there's 10 episodes. The episode nine is a complete ripoff of aliens, but okay. for the most part, the show is much better than discovery or Picard at all. And now you have people say, you know, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a good question. How many times do you get burned by the franchise that you've loved for so long before you quit? And, you know, I find myself asking the same kind of question because the Marvel stuff, the formula is starting to to show some cracks. It's starting to get a little bit old and tired and predictable. And you get something like Thor Ragnarok, for example, which kind of kind of plays in a different sandbox. Mm -hmm. But we saw Thor Love and Thunder last night. I was I was very disappointed with it, almost to the point of anger when I came out. My friends liked it. I'm just going to walk in and see what I think. It's a mess. I I don't I don't want to I don't want to prejudice it. Well, well, that's another video. But yeah, we we can talk about that. But it's it's seeing some of this. You know, people making the assumption it's going to be bad. I've I've been disappointed so so many times. I don't even want to give it a chance. And there you got you got two sides to that. Where, okay, Disney, you've been making junk. I'm not going to buy your junk anymore. But once they start making stuff that's not junk, how do you get those people back? Well, that's that's the damage that the Wokies did to us, right? Yeah. That's the damage they did to all of us. It damaged, they damaged Hollywood, and they damaged the consumer base, right? They did that because it was just drunken sailors you know, tearing holes in the ship, right? It was madness, and now we've come out of it. Now the ship has sunk halfway through, and now somebody's fixed it and trying to get it, make it seaworthy again. Who's going to trust the ship again? It's a fair question. Yeah. And those who don't want to trust it, perfectly understandable. Look, I haven't watched, uh, I haven't watched, uh, you know, Strange New Worlds yet because I've been so like I've never watched any of Kurtzman. But after the movies, I was like, I don't want to watch this. This isn't Star Trek, right? What is this crap? And so then I heard all these horrible things about the others. I don't watch that either. So, but now I'm hearing good word of mouth largely for Strange New Worlds. So I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I got to give it a shot. That's all I'm trying to do now. That's the only way we can fix this, is to let people know the ship is seaworthy and maybe even better than it was before. 
um, which I think is the case of Ms. Marvel. And I, I don't exaggerate when I, it is my opinion that I think it's the best of the MCU TV shows that I've seen, certainly. Well, uh, and it, it, that's my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but certainly it's, it's a watchable, worthy show in a, regardless of where one ranks it. And I'm trying to, that's one of the reasons I've come out of my, uh, of my exile, because, you know, there's a reason for the exile. I'm working with the network right now. They have indicated to me that they are watching my social media. They've said that to me directly in a very nice way, making it clear that I, they don't want any controversy or problems. Sure. Well, and, and that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. So I've been I've been taking a sabbatical, but this was important enough for me, Jason, that in the last few days I decided to do that. And, you know, you've got this headline and, and the, what triggered it was because of Bob Chapek's renewal, which to me was the sign of the victory that we've been seeking that a lot of people don't even realize we now have, which is his his three year renewal, which I've talked to Midnight's Edge and others. We can talk a little bit about here and how it relates to Miss Marvel, you know, because that's why I said I got to come back on and spread the word that you can get back on the ship. It's actually pretty good ride now. Now this, because this the uh, this Hollywood Reporter uh, article that just popped uh, yet, uh, today, uh, Bob Chapek's Sun Valley Challenge define his vision for Disney. So this is basically going about talking about this uh, this big summit, uh, this big uh, media uh, media corporate summit that's going on. It's like the the Illuminati getting together in the media. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> it's uh, it's the Sun Valley Conference is hosted by the investment bank for Allen and Company. That's been going on. Culture Casinos talked about it a little bit. I think Valiant Renegades touched on it a little bit. Everybody who's everybody is there. They're all schmoozing and, and boozing and whatnot. Bob Iger is there. That should be interesting to see the dynamic that comes out of that. But Chapek is there. They're talking about the, the challenge that he's got, basically making everybody feel like he kind of knows what he's doing in, in charting a new course for Disney. And I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily charting a new course so much as he's getting trying to get disney back on course because based on some yeah, of the trying stuff to get them off said, the iceberg yeah trying to get them off the iceberg and back floating yeah so what does he have to do next in order to i mean i don't know that he's going to get the trades on his side because they blew up when he fired peter rice they blew up when he got his contract renewed it doesn't seem like hollywood is on Bob Chapek's side. So he, he's kind They're of behind right the... Now. So what does he... Does he even bother trying to win them over at this point? Or is he just got to stay laser-focused, we're going to fix Disney, and everything else just kind of falls by the wayside? He's never bothered with the trades. If you notice what Bob Chapek is, he understood that the only way to fix this, uh, this company was to stop caring what the Hollywood bubble thinks. So from the very beginning, you know, it's something I said on Midnight Set back in February of last year, which is that Bob Chapek, in order to survive this after the Gino Crano firing, he's going to have to let the world know that he's not able to make these decisions. It's not his fault. And he needs to have the power to make these decisions. And then shortly thereafter, three weeks after I said that, uh, Forbes article came out saying exactly that. And I immediately knew he had seeded it. But he had not seeded that in the Variety or uh, Hollywood Reporter or, or Deadline or The Wrap. He had seeded it in Forbes, which is aimed at the investors in the business community, the general populace, right? right? 
So, and that's what he's consistently done, I've noticed. Whenever he wants to get his message out, he'll see it in UK newspapers. Like when, you know, when, when the word was coming out that Indiana Jones wasn't working, we had our friend Doomcock was reporting it. But, you know, not a lot of people believe a YouTuber wearing a plastic mask, right? So they didn't take tickets seriously. Uh, and then it comes out in, in like the UK newspapers that, it, that Indiana Jones is having major problems. And I was like, oh, that's Bob Chapek letting people know, right? And then shortly thereafter, he, he did exactly what he did with Mars. He was like, we're going to delay this for a year and reshoot it, right? Which gives me hope that Indiana Jones may actually end up being a good movie. Yeah. Which, considering the last one was not, and that that was under Spielberg, that's a bit of a miracle, but let's see. So he's never cared what the trades think, because he knows that it, trades are propaganda. They they are they're not independent journal. I don't know if there's such thing as independent journalism. Journalism has always been the slant of the owner, of the going back to, you know, yellow journalism under Thomas Jefferson's days. There's nothing new in that, right? Journalism right. is always about the slant of the owner, right? And so their slant is they serve the court, the, the oligarchy of Hollywood, which I call the club, right? People like Bob Iger, who are the popular kids, right? And they serve them. And so Chapek was brought in to up to the, the club had rammed the ship into an iceberg. And so he's like, well, these guys are going to keep screaming. The iceberg is a good thing. The iceberg is a future. You know, embrace the iceberg, right? So he's like, I, I'm just going to ignore them, right? And he's made some allies. Hollywood Reporter tends to be a little bit more more open to him but even they have their connection they were upset with peter rice's firing because peter rice was meant to be the ceo of yeah. disney he's the one Iger wanted to be the ceo and then you know of course chaper was going to get rid of that guy and the guy was also behind a lot of the the thing you know we imagine tomorrow social programming stuff and he needed to get rid of that guy for one because he's he's a problem because he's embracing the iceberg and he wants disney on that iceberg number two is he's a threat direct threat to you know he during all this florida a sex ed bill drama, this guy, Rice, put out his own personal press release saying, I think Disney's on the wrong path. We need to fight this flirt. It's like, dude, you're an employee. You can't put out a press release criticizing the boss. What do you think is going to happen? He was signaling to the town, this is our moment, man. Let's overthrow this guy. Yeah. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. And so, of course, he's going to get rid of him. And he did quite ruthlessly, which I have to say I respect. But <laughs> moving forward, what that leads us to, Jason, is moving forward. That's what he's going to have to do. And what's I'm more I don't care about his interactions with Iger at this summit because you know Iger hates him. He hates Iger. You know, that's not going to change. And Iger is really uh, a yesterday's man at this point. He's not, despite the best efforts of their the club saying he's going to come back. Iger ain't coming back, and he ain't going to be president. It's it's done for him. I hope I'm not frozen. So yeah. he's there just a CEO emeritus, right? Right. The real relationship we got to keep an eye on is his is Chapek's interactions with David Zaslav, who is a fellow, the head of Discovery, you know, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery. He's the he's the fellow person trying. Ah, starting to freeze up. I think I think Cameron's trying to make the point. They're both they're both relatively outsiders trying to trying to clean things up a little bit oh there you go you're back yeah i'm uh, we're, we're getting bored connection but yeah but yeah they're both trying zosloff is more of an entrepreneur he wasn't a corporate man like chapek who rose up from the from the bottom so chapek's skill is just corporate machination which we've seen him do right where zosloff's skill is he just burns the field down and conquers he's a napoleon figure right uh he's that guy uh and so i think they can both teach each other something right now because what Chapek now, and we saw it with, with Peter Rice, he's at the stage where he's got to now start burning the field down. So he's got to start firing the, the, the iceberg people. He can't just keep machinating with them. They really caused him a lot of drama this year with his Florida stuff. 
right? It's too much. And yeah, he knows it's, it's time too to much. Swing That's why he axe. got rid of Rice. Yeah. So he's got to learn how to be more aggressive instead of backs, backroom back deals, which is what he knows. And Zosloff now has to learn from him how to manage a corporate system inside of Hollywood, which Zosloff has never really done. Discover is always doing its own thing, right? right? And so they both can teach each other something. Hopefully it's not too late, right? <laughs> it's, it's never too late. We all look like he's going just going back to what you said about can the audience come back? If the audience doesn't come back, a new audience will come. Everyone wants to be entertained. And if the entertaining stuff is being produced, then we'll get a new generation of people that maybe aren't connected to the older fans that will exactly what sort of the, the fake strategy of, of Lucasfilm was. We'll create a new generation of people by disrespecting the older fans, right? right? But the end result is they produce garbage work, which didn't bring in anybody, right? But if you keep producing good stuff like Miss Marvel in the next couple of years, through word of mouth, people are going to start watching it. And if some of the fans go, I'm not going to watch it. Okay, well, you're just, that's what I've said to people. You're just denying yourself an entertaining experience. Others want to be entertained. So it, that, that vacuum is going to fill itself. It's whether you want to enjoy yourself or not in the process. Yeah, and in the meantime, we have to, you know, we have to get through the stuff that was already in the pipeline from the Iger camp. And, and you know, now that, now that Chapek has pretty much a, a clear, maybe not necessarily a clear mandate, but he's got unanimous. Well, he's got a mandate. He's got a mandate. He's, he's, he's now can do whatever the hell he wants, which is yeah. why I hope he gets aggressive. Well, hopefully we'll we'll see the act swing in in a, a couple of different directions. There, do you think do you think it, they sell Pixar? I think it may be the other way. I think that they they buy uh, they they buy where John Lasseter is right now. Skydance, uh, yeah, Skydance. I think they buy Skydance and merge those two, and bring Lasseter back into the company because pick because Lasseter is the asset. Lasseter was Pixar. Without Lasseter, there's nothing. Yeah. And so Chapek, if I know that, Bob Chapek knows that. And if I'm thinking I should just hire this guy, I would hire this guy. That's what Bob Chapek would do and just buy Skydance. They have the money, or at least maybe they don't have the money for it. But they can leave me. I think they might be able to borrow the money for it, but they'll get it. They'll find a way. In. They won't do the Iger thing uh, of just like spending like crazy people. But they'll find a way to bring Skydance in, I think. That's the smart move. And then that's the ultimate victory is that Pixar, you know, Skydance can essentially merge into Pixar and take it over. No. Right. Well, we Which will. Which is how Discovery Warner Brothers is happening. Discovery is essentially the charge. Well, we will see how all of that plays out. Cameron Pasha, thank you very much. As always, we always like having you in here, sharing your your insights. And hopefully this, you know, we, we're able to talk a little bit more about the series if it goes to series, and, and, and we can talk about that. And, and uh, as we get through here talking about uh, what's going on with Chapex machinations, and as, as long as your hiatus from your hiatus is in play... You know, we can have you. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break again. I'm out of respect for my friends like you. I came back for a few days. As if I'm gonna come back to Midnight's Edge, I feel like I can't, you know, say well, I'm not gonna talk to anybody else. That's not fair, right? Because you're a wonderful channel. You've always been very gracious to me. So I'm gonna t I'm coming back for a few days to talk to people. Then I'm gonna take a hiatus again. All right. Well, we do appreciate being part of that that list of friends. So it's always good to have cool. you back. And anytime you want to come back, whenever you're ready to jump back in, there is a place for you here at the table. So. Cameron yeah, Pasha, so his, uh, his Patreon link is in our show notes. So you can go check that out. And uh, that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here and, uh, and sticking with us. 
Uh, all of you in the chat, thanks for your comments. If you have any feedback, if you got a topic you'd like to suggest or a guest to suggest, you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. And you can connect with us on all the different social medias. And uh, uh, we're on the different video platforms, so check us out there. And uh, coming up on Saturday, Good Morning Multiverse is back at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern with the uh, the week's headlines. We'll probably have some stuff from last week as well, so join us for that. In the meantime, I will leave you with this thought. Clean your room, tell the truth, wash your hands, and remember that there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.